0: Welcome to the Bullpen Session. This is Patrick Lillis. Glad you're here. Glad you're listening. Uh, Excited to share this episode with you. I, um, you know, it's the end of our season four, and it kind of snuck up with me with the four great interviews we did at the Southeast Theater Conference. And, you know, the end of season four, I'm thinking about the fact in the fall, started it with taking students to plays and also talking to Students that grad young actors, no longer students, people who graduated in twenty twenty, right after this pandemic started, and you know this this week I'm talking to actor Puya Mosini and she was in the play English at the Atlantic Theater, which is an incredible, beautiful play. And I was, uh, but one of the reasons I wanted to talk to Puya is because I noticed I've known her for a while, and she's in this great play, and she's in a film. Uh, See You Then that is about to be dropped on video on demand It had a great festival life. We talked about that. And um, she seemed to be thriving as we're coming out of this pandemic. And I wanted to talk to somebody as we're ending season four of like, you know, how would you keep working? How would you get engaged uh, in all the projects that you're doing? You know, what was the genesis of that for them to have a continued life during this unusual time? And so it's a great conversation. And who is also um you know, we also had in the middle of the conversation, she's also an activist uh, for transgender individuals, uh artists, I was going to say, but all people, um, immigrants, women's issues, and just very active in that and and also just talking about the fact of, you know, when she began her career um not having role models, and I think it's interesting because she is a role model, uh, clearly. And and one of the things she talks about, you'll hear her talk about, is about how to do the work and approaching the work every time of doing your best. And I love that. I love talking about that in the conversation and uh, all of the honest journey of how she got where she is. So I'm glad about that. And I'm glad, you know, I'm hoping You know, I was going to say, I'm hoping that when we come back to season five, things are a little more normal and a little more consistent. But the truth is, I'm grateful for season four and everyone we got to talk to. Uh, The artists who have moved away and picked different things that, you know, different ways of going about building a career and building their work. And that was incredibly valuable. And then some artists that have found success in different forms, um, you know, audio plays podcast writing a memoir you know i remember a great conversation with bill bowers in the middle of the season and um just grateful for all of our guests and all of you for listening and excited to share the conversation with puya and with that play ball um it's
1: very much kind of what people tell young actors it's you know keep doing work and you never know where it's going to end up because the first time that I encountered the play was four years ago when it was Sonos Tucci's, um thesis at NYU uh, and that was the first time that I read um, for that role Uh, I believe it was the first time it was actually uh, having a reading anywhere. Um, So that was the first time. And then there have been multiple readings from then. Uh, One was at Roundabout Underground. We did one during the pandemic on Zoom. And I still had to audition for it uh, when it was time for it to uh, go off Broadway. So it was very much those kind of things that people talk about in acting classes. You know, it's like, oh, I started with this little thing when nobody knew about it. And then it became this considerably bigger thing. Um, And it just reinforces what I believe or what I've come to believe with the guidance of many amazing uh, directors and teachers in New York. This idea of like, whatever situation you're in, do the best work you can treat people well, learn as much as you can and move forward because our industry has become so much about, okay, are you networking? Are you making connections that people don't focus as much about? Are you doing good work? Are you showing up with your best self? Are you open to learn and absorb and grow? And I think my um, journey with English is very much a matter of that. You know, you get something which is just a reading at the beginning, but you do work that they bring you back and then you do more good work and different directors, you try to learn from each one of them. And it ends up being you know we had a hit show at Atlantic theater and
0: and nominated for the best, with best the ensemble best ensemble
1: best play and best set design yes
0: yeah yeah which um, is all going to happen. So
1: that's <laughs> great. Uh, I love hearing that because I used to,
0: I taught at NYU's writing program for a decade, and I used to before that directed. And I saw that it won the Steinberg Award, which is the award, I think, think it won the award at NYU. And so, so I'm, but amazing, I'm glad that you were in the reading and part of it because I had done so much work of other playwrights in there. And I think it is a great place to meet writers and show up for them. And you never know what's going to happen. You don't know if it's going to be a beautiful play. Um, you know, it's about a being of service for the work. Um, Did you know the playwright before that? How'd you come to that? How did
1: NYU find you? Um, Again, it's one of those things like your reputation is something that people will meet before they meet you. And I still don't know exactly how Sanas had heard of me because because this is going back four years ago and yeah. at the pandemic in the middle of it. It was like, it might as well be another century. Um, and I just remember, I think it may have been on Instagram or Facebook because you know she was looking for something specific and I was in that world of, I, I was Iranian. I was of a certain age, even though the character and I are not exactly in the same age bracket. Um, and this is also one of the other examples that I originally when I read the play, when Sana sent it to me and she said, I have this reading, I actually wanted to read for a different role. Um, And she said something to me. She's like, yeah, I know you can read for that role, uh, but I don't want you to read for that role. I want you to read for this other role because I know that you can do something with it that nobody else can. And of course, me being an actor, I have ego. I, I want to have the most scenes, I want to have the biggest part. I mean, you know, that's that's truth. Right. Um, and I think trying to ignore that truth would be a disservice to people who are listening to this. Yes, we all want the most number of scenes. We all want to be the number one character in a story. But my uh, journey with English has also shown me that every play, every movie is a singular moving entity. My example of English is like a fish. It has a head, it has a tail, it has two side fins, and it has a back fin. And I realized my character was more like a back fin, that it doesn't come to your attention first. You may even not acknowledge it at all, but it's doing its job. And that was one of my fears with my role in English was nobody's gonna remember who I am. Nobody's even gonna care that I was in the play. But then as we did it, as the play took shape, as we went into tech and previews, um, I became very aware that our play was very much like a fish, that that fish would get lost just as easily without a side fin than it would with a back fin. And the truth of that is that we didn't get nominated for best actor, or best supporting actor, we got nominated for best ensemble. And I'm very grateful that I had that learning experience after all these years, that that was my learning experience that there are truly no smart part, no small parts.
0: That is, so all of that is great. I, I love the idea also of your reputation and showing up and doing the work and not only networking, But your analogy of that, of the fish is beautiful because, you know, when I first went to the Atlantic and I, I, I saw the play, I, and I knew that you were in it probably social media or whatever. It was not the part I would have thought either, just from social media awareness and, and everything. And, but beautifully done. And that's funny about won't remember. I don't know how long that speech is about your son and the softness when he talks in, Uh, Farsi how can you hear how soft he is like that resonated with me for days after the play and I thought it was like oh well there's no way you're not going to remember it's like this poignant you you got your you know you got the moment of for
1: the character I had the exit scene of all exit scenes
0: (laughs) yeah it's so great was that in the whole time or was that did that evolve and
1: uh, that whole play, uh, again, because I've done multiple readings of it, it, it has very much evolved through the years, but it even evolved a great deal through the rehearsal and tech and previews. Uh, so now it has been, you know, it's like set in stone for as long as it's, it's it remains that way. But very much this idea of what is each character bringing? And Let's have each character add something to the story as opposed to repeat something that somebody else says. So my character, no, the, the person that everybody saw was somewhat different from the person we began with, even at the beginning of the rehearsal process in January. At first she was more zany. There was something a little more playful and kooky with um, with how she approached her son and and other people. But this is a credit to very much the one singular entity, which was the writer, the director, and the ensemble of realizing how does this puzzle come together? And we realized my character doesn't need to be zany because there's very much, she speaks when she needs to, and when she says something, it hits the point. Yeah. So she doesn't need to repeat herself over and over because that was part of what um, existed there was that she kind of repeats herself in the phone calls to her son. She kind of keeps trying to show that she speaks English and trying to appease him. And the best way I can say it's almost like, it's almost like you have an antique and you're washing it and it slowly shows itself to you as you keep brushing off the dust. And I feel that was the process that as we kept doing it, the parts kind of showed themselves to us and sanas and the direction. And some lines were added, some lines were taken, some lines were polished and um, coiffed a certain way. But what came at the end was something that definitely had humor, but it also had a lot of heart.
0: Yeah, really the heart resonated. I, I meant, it's funny I could talk about the process of that play forever because I thought it was just beautiful and I think your description of it is wonderful of why the ensemble worked, just the idea of that it's everybody's serving a purpose for it. And I think your character is shining like an antique' it's, Glorious, um, but I'm going to ask about the, you know, and I want to ask about his auditioning actually. And going, I think that happens a lot. And I think people, actors, young actors, don't realize they have to audition even if they did the workshop and they did the reading. Well, you didn't, you didn't do it at the Atlantic, and they want to know you, and maybe they don't, you know. And and I'm curious emotionally, like there's got to be a little bit of like, hey, this is my play.
1: You know, <laughs> and I'll be you- very honest, I'll be very honest. Nobody loves auditioning. Nobody likes to be questioned or second guessed, especially if you've done it multiple times. Um, but I've said it before about this particular part and I will say it again. There was a certain freedom because I was like, well, the playwright knows what I can or cannot do. And I've done this for Roundabout, I've done this for Zoom, I believe with the same director. Uh, again, going back to pandemic, you know, kind of like memories (laughs) jumble together. But when I went in the final one, there was a certain freedom. And this, I hope that young performers understand. At the end of the day, you can bring your best because we have this idea of like, oh, what is it that they want to see? They have no idea what they want to see. So if you're trying to guess what they want to see while they not knowing what that thing is, then it's going to be a whole lot of confusion and second guessing on all sides. But when I came in, I was like, this is how I've done it. This is what speaks true to me. And this is what I can do. So I did that. And I had worked on it. You know, it's like I wanted to make sure, like, I didn't want to show up not knowing the scene, especially that I'd done it four times before. So I showed up prepared. And you show up into a room with 15 people wearing a mask the creative team of Roundabout, the creative team at Atlantic, the writer, the director, the reader. Um, So all of these people. And it can be very daunting. And, you know, I mean, I've been auditioning now for, you know, it's like decade plus. Um, And it never gets easier. But when I walked into that room, I had this idea of like, I want to show you what my interpretation of this character is, and then you can guide me from it. That was very freeing. And also what that allowed me to do was when the director gave me direction, I wasn't taking it personally as, oh, you don't like my work. It was, we are playing together. This is what I'm showing you. And you're kind of saying like, okay, can we turn it like, you know, 30 degrees this way? And because I had come with that confidence and the openness that I'm like, oh my God, if you're going to direct me, that means you hate me because we do that. I've, I do that sometimes. Yes. Um, and, and that way I got three redirects and it was a complex scene that it had to start from kind of like, you know, kind of funny and sassy to then being serious, to then me crying at the end of it. Um, You know, it's like, imagine like from an actor's point, like, oh my God, I have to be funny here and I have to be serious there and I have to cry there. It's like, like, I'm like, oh my God, it's like a whole acting lesson in one audition. But I did it. I took redirects. I believe I did the scene three times, maybe four. Um, And then I walked out and I was like, okay, I have no idea. Um, And obviously I booked it and since then i've auditioned for many other things but i also think that the greatest thing i've learned is just at the end of the day the best thing you can bring is yourself
0: yeah and and also that remain open it's funny when i direct and i'm always i always am giving adjustment in the room even if the person did it exactly how i imagined just because i want to know how we work together you know like we speak the same
1: language do we have a similar sensibility and and are they open? Do we understand each other when I tell you this? Do you understand? And I think part of it is also sometimes the director is like, well, I haven't seen that. It may not even be what I want, but can you try it?
0: Yeah. Yeah, just because an idea came in and, and, and it sounds great. And it's like, it's good to come with that confidence and that openness, because I'm thinking sometimes directors don't articulate all of that. Like, hey, we're just trying. You know, uh, so I think that is it is really good. And the four times it's funny, I was actually thinking I have a very specific friend of mine who did a workshop and did readings and then had a play off Broadway. And all of a sudden they had to audition and wait, you know, and you think, right, you got to bring your work and you got to do it because nothing's guaranteed to anybody.
1: No, (laughs) this business has no loyalty whatsoever.
0: No loyalty. I'm going to jump back a little bit and say, when did I, you know, I read the article in The Advocate, and I want to ask about when the start of acting for you happened. Um, and it sounded like you came for fashion, you were studying at F, am I right? FIT? FIT. Yeah, and, and just curious, you know, because, and I, I, we'll get to what's happening today, but I was, uh, I was like, oh, how did that start? And at what point did you say oh, this is is it for me, and I'm going to go and train.
1: Again, I think it's very much the stories that people hear, but nobody wants to believe that this is going to be their journey. I wanted to be an actor when I was a teenager. I wanted to go to performing arts high school, but I was in Iran and there was no way my parents were going to let me do that. Then I was at FIT studying design and I joined uh, an extracurricular uh, group, which was the theater ensemble. That was the first time I got to act with a bunch of actors. I was doing background work on shows that were shooting in New York at the time, like Six in the City, now and again, feature films, like 28 Days with Sandra Bullock and Viggo Mortensen. So this is like 99, 2000, approximately. But as I wanted to find my way in the acting world at that time, I realized nobody had an interest in working with me, especially being a trans actor of Middle Eastern descent, like there was no room for me. And also I didn't have the other added benefit of like being in the ballroom and, you know, it's like having, being glitzy and glamorous. I didn't have that. Like I I was a schlubby New York kid. Okay. Like I was very much a schlubby New York kid. I basically wore the same outfit like every day. I remember somebody once telling me, it's like, I look like a budget lesbian, um, which would have been a great compliment had I known what it actually meant, but I, I was new to New York, so I didn't even know what it meant, um, and I'm an immigrant, and my mom said, you have to find work, like, you know, as you know, acting is not, is not a sure thing, I mean, I've been now doing it for almost 15 years, and still, it's not a sure thing, so at that time, I was like, well, nobody wants to work with me, so I'm going to leave the business, and I did, because, you know, nobody wanted me, even the agency that represented me for background work, they dropped me when they found out I was trans. So that's what I mean. Like nobody wanted to work with me.
0: Do you mind if I ask about that? When, sure. when did they find out? Because you, you, I know that, you know, you had the coming out of social media. and the announcement That was here.
1: much later.
0: But that, that was, was much like, later, right? So did they, yeah. they just found out and they're like, and so it they was, were discriminating just on their own yeah. opinion.
1: Very much so. Well, somebody outed me on set. There was a young man. Uh, I don't remember his name, but we were in holding. And apparently he was also represented by the same agency. And he kind of, you know, ungraciously, and I think very pointedly, asked me in front of everybody if I was on hormones and when did I start hormones. And and everybody looked at me and of course I completely denied it because we're talking about 22, 23 years ago. So we're talking about like actual safety. Right. And so I completely tried to brush it off. You know, it's like I'm like, oh, I have no idea what he's talking about. You know, that was my best acting. like, what? Oops. Oh, he's crazy. Um, but then I ran into him when I was going to give um My uh, commission to my agent. And as I was going in, he was coming out and he was like, oh, look who's here. And that was the last time I ever met my agent. And we had a fight. He told me, it's like, oh, somebody... Uh, somebody told me that you've said this about me on, on set, which was not true. It was kind of like an early me too thing that is like, you've told people that I promised you this. I'm like, well, it wouldn't be true because I'm doing background work. So that wouldn't even work. Um, But that was the last time I was in contact. They never called me again. So like, it's kind of like those things. I'm like too many coincidences, you know, that guy, and then he's here. And then they don't represent me after that. Um, And I started working. I I mean, I had this whole life, I worked as a designer, then I became a massage therapist, I got married, I got divorced, you know, New New York way. A whole life. A whole life. And then it wasn't until I moved to my studio that I'm currently living in, this is like 15 years ago, and I was working for myself and I realized, okay, now I wanna do the thing I wanna do because I can also financially do it. Because I have this other business that's mine that I can move the schedule as I need to. And that's also, I think, one of the things that as actors, some of us look at it as shame, having a survival job is part of being an actor. It's just people like, well, you're second guessing yourself. I'm like, no, I'm being realistic with how long it takes to make money as an actor. So my massage practice became my side hustle. I did so many crappy student films so many uh, black box theater projects that our audience was like four or five people. There were times that there were more people on stage than there were in the audience. I've done all of those things in in the city, in New Jersey, in Queens. Um, Then the student films got better. That one of the highest point of student film was, it was a thesis for Columbia that became an Academy Award finalist for student films then I was doing short films and then they became better short films and feature films. So all of this, because you'd ask when was the moment? I don't know if there was a moment. I feel like it's been laying a brick next to another brick next to another brick, working with Joan Cain when I was here and then working with her again when I was there and there and so on. And the, the thing that I think young people, Young actors, they have a hard time understanding because I think it just comes with experience and age. Your reputation, as I said before, people meet your reputation before they meet you. Were you difficult? Did you show up prepared? Did you bring energy and life to your work and to the environment? Because also the energy you bring to work beyond just doing your work, that is also something people remember. Were you a difficult actor? Did you ask questions? when they were valid questions? Or did you just feel that it's like, you know, everybody should just circle around you? And so this brought me to about six, seven years ago, when I decided that was when I publicly came out, which is then the advocate article happened and I came out on on Facebook. I believe this was after you and I had originally met through Nylon Fusion. Um, And the reason I came out was like, I was completely willing to let go of my acting career because I felt that coming out was something that was important to me as a person, as an activist, as an educator, as, you know, an elder in the queer community, you know, setting not an example, but just letting the younger people who are fighting themselves, that there are other people who are there and who are willing to stand up and be themselves, not so much guide them, but being like, hi, if you're. If you want to see anybody else that's, you know, part of your community, hi, I'm here. and That changed my career in many ways, but not just personally, but also as an actor. Because I feel that what it did, it dropped a lot of blocks that I had as a person that then that reflected itself in my work.
0: Yeah, you you felt those blocks, you removed them just by claiming who you are and owning that acceptance and and acknowledged public acknowledgement saying, this is it. And then the blocks go away and then you could fully bring yourself to the work (laughs) unconsciously, it's not a conscious choice, it's Mm -hmm. an an outcome. I was curious that you said that you were worried that your work, that you might lose your work, but you thought the coming out was more important. And I think that's, Interesting to me because I wouldn't have thought the outcome I would have, I, I especially, but I guess, yeah, I guess I don't have that experience because I'm thinking about the blacklisting you felt or the discrimination you felt earlier with your agent decades earlier. It's like, sure, that could happen again.
1: And-, and I still had people that after I came out, people who were my friends, or at least I thought they were friends, and they distanced themselves. And I just took it as like, you know, every action has a consequence. And Uh, We can either live with the consequences or not. And I believe the essence of being an adult is that you take actions and you can live with the consequences. And I'm an adult. I was like, I did what was important to me, and the consequences are what they are. And did you? It's
0: interesting because I read about you when you were said as a role model. Did you have any role model?
1: When I came out, not really. There weren't, I mean, you know, back 20-something years ago, there were definitely none. Uh, There there was nobody. And if there were people who were in the industry, they were very much on the margins that someone like me wouldn't have even known about them. Or if there were people that people knew it was all hush-hush because they didn't want to ruin their careers, you know, all of those things. Um, When I came out, I think one of the things that inspired me was the show that Joey Soloway had done on uh, Amazon. Transparent, which at that time had Jeffrey Tambor playing yeah. the, the lead role. Um, but that was something that kind of put a couple of sparks in my head. But it was something that Joey Salloway said in an interview with Ellen DeGeneres that they said, I did this show because I wanted to make the world safer for trans people who are older, who will never pass, who will never not be recognized as a trans individual. And I want them to feel comfortable being on the elevator. I want them to feel safe going to do their grocery shopping. And I thought, well, everything that I've done in my life, why should I still hide? What's the point of life if I'm still hiding? I've come from Iran. I've done all of these things. And I feel that just it was one of the best decisions of my life. Not because I'm like, oh, I'm so brave, but I I respected my journey enough to say that I no longer want to hide, regardless of what the outcome is.
0: Because yeah. I've earned it. And I yeah, it's
1: incredibly
0: powerful and empowering. And I like that you. I think what was interesting, just even listening to you now, just say everything you've done and everything in your journey. I mean, ownership and claiming a sense of yourself in your journey is empowering and vital, but also, I don't know what I want to say, A great role model. And you
1: would also think, uh, you wouldn't think that it would affect your acting, but I found what it is that affects, because you gain access to all parts of you, to your yeah. fear, to your courage, to your joy, to your sadness, to all of it. It's all there for you to find, find your way through. And when you've done it in your personal life, well, it just becomes so much easier to do it in your work. Because in your real life, it has consequences. In your acting, it doesn't.
0: Yeah. Well, I think I'm a big believer in that too. I think like, you know, you have to embrace your secrets, you know, and you have to, I think shame plays a part in the world, but I think my, one of my goals, I have a solo show on suicide awareness and it's to eliminate shame, because I think it doesn't benefit us at all. And it's something that limits us and it's a projection we're putting out into the world as opposed to an acceptance we're putting out into the world and you're right when we when we let go of that secret all of a sudden it's not even you you are not aware of what you're not tapping into you know and i think and it's you know your story is, so, is very specific but i actually hear it and go yeah it's true for everybody self-acceptance and, and self and and allowing your full self to be in the world is if you want to you know I think that's a better way to live a life, let alone just being an artist. But if you wanna be an artist, it's pretty, I think it's vital to to be able to bring a whole instrument. I was having this thought with myself about all the anti-trans legislation that's going on in the world and thinking like, oh, that's about progress. It's a terrible thing that's happening, but they didn't have to do it before because everybody was afraid to show themselves Anyway, so now the more courageous, and so I guess my, I don't have a question, I do have a question, I'd love to hear just your thoughts on the vitalness of like, representation, and nothing. And am I wrong, you know, you can also say I'm wrong, but my thought of like, oh, if somebody wants to stop something, it's because it's made progress to the point where there's an awareness of it.
1: I believe change is a tango. Two steps forward, one step back. And if you look at history, that's how it always happened. Even if you talk about the women's movement, the gay liberation movement uh, in the 70s, heading forward, and then comes the Reagan era, uh, and it's back. And then comes the Clinton era, forward. And then comes the Bush era, back. And then comes the Obama era, forward. And then comes the, it's like, in a way, I'm like, I'm, I'm too old to pretend that things are happening for the first time. I'm, I'm now in my forties and I embrace it fully. I've grown up uh, in the aftermath of a revolution war. I'm an immigrant. I've come here. I've made my life over the past 25 years in New York, September 11th, you know, everything that I see. And when you take a step back and you look at all of it, I think, Society is a 60-40. 60% of society that believes in inclusion, believes in what a society is, and that's a matter of civility, mutual respect, the fact that it's for all of us and we all have equal rights. And then there's 40%. The 40% who believes that they should have all the rights and other people should not. And if you look at history, that 60-40 seems pretty accurate, which is why we take two steps forward, one step back. And I feel what is happening now the fact that we're even having these conversations. 20 years ago, nobody would be talking about any of this. So when people talk about the the murder of trans women, trans women of color specifically, like 20 years ago, these same women were being killed. It's just nobody talked about it. I know because I had friends who were killed. So I feel I'll give you a great example. You know, when Trump became president and everybody was talking about the fact that, oh, he made the country racist, he didn't. All he did, he just took that nice little, you know, sheet on top of all the stuff that was going on, you know, and when I say sheet, I'm really talking about a particular white sheet. He just pushed that aside and we just saw what was really going on. We have this idea, you know, I was watching the biography of Billie Holiday. The things that were done to this woman, because she was a Black woman who was speaking her truth, her addiction wasn't any better or worse than anybody else, but she became the target because she was saying something that she was being told, don't say it. That's not that long ago. That's not that long. That's 60 years ago. That's not even a full two generations. Right. And I feel what is happening now um, when people are talking about, oh, there are more trans people now. I'm like, no, it's not the number hasn't changed. The number of people who have the courage to talk about it, that has changed. But it's not like, oh, it's the water. It's really the fluoride in the water that's making people more trans. No, it's not. It's like when I got my vaccine, it's like, you know, that there were some uh, in the Middle East that were saying the vaccine, would, uh, the vaccine would make you gay. I was like, after I got my first one, I'm like, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. <laughs> I'm looking around to see if I'm looking at people any differently. I'm not. Didn't, didn't, didn't do it, huh? Oh, no, not even after <laughs> the second one, not even the booster. I'm still waiting. Um, and I think when you look at people who are saying, well, trans people this or trans people that, none of it has anything to do with logic. It all comes down to the same thing that was being used against women, against immigrants, and against Black people. It comes down to one very basic thing. I don't like these people to be in my world. I don't want them to be out. I don't want to know about them. I don't want to see them happy. I don't want to see them alive. If you look at it, it's all the same thing, because other than that, why should it have mattered if... Black and white students went to the same class. It didn't matter, but it came down to that same thing. I don't want you, who is different from me, who I don't like for X, Y, and Z, I don't want you to be in my world because you disgust me, because you make me uncomfortable, which comes down to you disgust me. I think you are less than, I think you're dirtier. Trans people are now that minority that is being pointed out in that same way and I've said this on panel after panel, I will continue to say this, the voice of hate has always been there for thousands of years, if not longer. Now the target changes, but the voice of hate has always been there and it's always been loud and it's always been vengeful. You know, it's a voice of hate. It's not a voice of like slight dislike, It's, it's hate. All I can do is try to be as loud of a voice of compassion and inclusion for those people who feel othered. Now, I can't do that to a black girl because my experience would be very different. But as I've said to people who may be in the queer community but they don't believe that trans people are real because in the LGBTQ community, there are also those voices who believe that trans individuals, they're really trying to conform to outside society. That's a whole different conversation for a different day. But I told somebody, I said, It's okay if you don't want me to be fighting the fight next to you, but if you ever need a place to stand so you don't feel alone, there's always a space next to me. And that's how I look at it. That's yeah. I believe that every individual deserves equal human rights. Now I'm not now somebody's like, well, how do you feel about pedophiles? I'm like, well, why don't we also then talk about mass murders and see how we feel about that?
0: It's not this, with, not, not, not apples and oranges. People are criminal act is a criminal act.
1: Yeah. You know? And it's like, I'm like, okay, so we're just going to pretend that marrying someone of the same sex or being gender variant is the same as being pedophile. You want to pretend that's the same thing. You are showing me how you see this whole spectrum. Now I'm saying within reason, within logic, with the, the God given brain ability that hopefully we all have this idea of, I don't have to like you to respect you if you are not invading my personal space if you're not putting me in danger i don't have to like you there are a whole lot of people who have horrible fashion sense i don't go and hit them with my umbrella
0: <laughs> it, you know you, and you don't have to hit them you just don't have to look at them for long periods of time
1: like i see so many people with bad combination of shoes and socks but i just follow my path and move on
0: that is excellent i'm uh i'm gonna back up to your to the film you were listing all the students it's gonna sound like a non sequitur but it is i guess building career when you said they get better like you did the oscar nominated student film right do they get better How do they get better? Do you work with the same people and they get better or you find yourself getting into better rooms?
1: I feel it can be a combination of the two. You know, you do not want to see my first reel. Okay, I'll put it to that, but you do not want me as an actor growing, me being in better projects and me working with people who are further along in their career. Obviously, when I'm doing my first student film, who do you think I'm doing that film with? With somebody who's also doing their first film. Um, and I think this is something you probably have a better idea, but I feel like in, in our business, we don't talk about building a career. We have this idea, you come and you get discovered. Except that 99% of the time, that is not what happens. Yeah. People, it's like, what was I watching? Again, the, uh, I'm trying to think who it was. I don't know, it was like, it it may have even been Billie Holiday. Um, But they were talking about, oh, she went to this theater, and that's when her career started. It's like, I'm like, except that she was singing for like 10 years before that on The Corner, And in that like really crappy club and in that really shitty place that, you know, people like grabbed her ass or something. And all of that until she got to that first notable club that then allowed her to then be seen by X, Y, and Z. And then, you know, she moved up. And I think because that's not the sexy part of the career development, people don't talk about it, but I think that's a disservice to especially young actors because I remember somebody, when I was doing my first co-star role, this person was doing background, and she told me, she's like, well, how long did it take you to make it? I was like, this is my first co-star. I hardly think this is making it. But if you want to know, it's taken me like five years from zero to be here. And she told me, she looked at me, and she's like, I'll do it in two. Well, case on point, she has not. Um, (laughs) But I think that's more a symptom of this false narrative that you just show up and you get discovered. Whereas people I respect, you know, older actresses that I have respected, people like Olympia Dukakis, people like Beatrice Arthur, people like, you know, I mean, like some of the great people who went from theater to TV and film and Bancroft. These are people who were kind of like doing and doing and doing, of you know, forgettable stuff, cringeworthy stuff, things that they've reflected on and they're like, I don't know how the hell I managed to get, but I just feel that it's a house. You build brick by brick by brick and sometimes the bricks are bigger, sometimes they're smaller and sometimes you keep putting the brick and suddenly comes that beautiful marble piece. And I look at it that way, that's how it's worked for me. Like, I don't know if I would say I've made it, but I've gotten to a point that is like, to some actors, this would, like where I am now, would feel like a notable place in one's career to be. But I still don't think of like, oh, you know, I have made (laughs) it all those years with the little people. I'm not, I am still very much a little person. Um, well,
0: I think I think your brick by brick metaphor is right, because I think you're we're always hoping to get to the next level, yes. you know, and there's always another level. And, and you whether you're growing in your skill and talent and artistry is one thing that's good. But then, you know who you're in the room with. And, you know, I'm thinking about when you said, oh, I've, I'm at this point now and somebody might think made it. It's like, well, I don't know if that's it, but I feel like at least you're at a moment from the outside. there's recognition happening. You know, like, you you know, I saw the the, the, just the fact that, you know, that you're at the symphony space with, you know, at that event with a a list of names that are some new to me, some who I've known all my life, you know, and you're like, Oh, right, well, you're definitely being talked about in that circle. So that's nice. You know, that's where you can recognize. It is
1: very nice. I mean, I'm not denying it's very nice, but I feel like it's exactly what you said. So yes, now I'm nominated um, with, uh, you know, it's like our entire cast for best ensemble for the Lord Tales. That's lovely. It's, it's the most significant recognition I've gotten in the theatrical world so far. But of course, as soon as you get that, then you're like, okay, I want a Tony. You know, and I'm not going to deny that, nor would I shame anybody for doing that. People like awards are not important. I'm like, they're not important, but they make us feel good when we get them. Um, and I just believe it's exactly what you said. It's, um, it's a receding horizon. You get to this point and then you're like, okay, I got to this. Now I want that other thing. I, I want to work with amazing people. And the thing is amazing people work on larger pro- projects and everybody wants to work with amazing people. I try to learn in every room. I love when I get to be in a room and other people are way ahead of me in their career, what they've accomplished, how long they've been around. And I want to absorb. That's one thing I wanna say younger actors It's like, just watch. When I was on Law & Order SVU, um, even during the breaks, I wouldn't go because I was just sitting on my judge uh, seat I'm watching everything happening you know the changes between the scenes and all of that like the, because that was a great learning experience for me yeah and nobody but, knows maybe, everything
0: and and, and and those people who've been doing that show for over 20 years are great at what they do exactly you know so yeah how do they do it what are they doing what are they thinking about you know and what are the setups that i need to be aware of exactly yeah you know, so that's great um when you said the thing about you're always learning, I'm also curious, you know, what do you think today when, when you're working in these, you're working in different rooms than you were in the times when more people were in the stage than the audience, but what do you think you carry with you today when you enter those rooms? And it, may, it could simply be this whole sense of self too, but I, I'm imagining there's other skills as the actor and artist and sense of who you are than, than when you were starting out. What do you think you carry with you in every situation?
1: I would say less fear, more gratitude. And I think that's so important. I mean, I, I can't tell other people to be grateful, I can only speak for myself. I carry in a sense of gratitude because also I think gratitude is infectious and it affects how you approach your work, how you deal with other people. Um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was in this reading with Stephen Spinella playing my husband and uh it was directed by robert o'hara and it was written by uh, jordan Tannehill and produced by uh, jeremy o'harris um uh, so i was like i said i was in that room and i'm like I don't know how I ended up in this room. Um, it was like it was it was a little overwhelming, like being a child. I'm like, oh my god, Stephen Spinella, is like my husband. I'm playing the wife of Stephen Spinella, being directed by Robert Meyer. Um, and I think a sense of gratitude because, again, you know, you can always you can always look at the dark or the light. So the dark would have been like, oh, I have a small part. You know, it's like, I'm like, I'm not the star of this. I, I want to be the star. You know, the thing that I said, we all have egos. We all want to have the most lines and all of that. But so that part of it, and, and that part can be very toxic. Because uh, you may not say it, but it's uh, ruminating in your head. You're like, mm, I'm in this room, but I only have these many lines or I only have these many scenes. Whereas you can look at it, you're like, I'm playing the wife of Stephen Spinella. I'm playing Kate Middleton. I'm playing the mother of um, uh, Troy Sivan. I'm being directed by Robert O'Hara, and it was like a three day, three day reading, and it was incredible. And so, what do I mean by gratitude? Is like first, just the joy of working the joy of working with these people, but also always being open and learning. Oh, I want to see how Stephen Spinella is going to say that line. You know, it's like, what is he going to bring into it? And then that inspires you to do something. So that's what I mean by always learning. If I'm in a room with people who've been doing this, you know, decades longer than I have, then I look at this as like the best internship I could ever ask for.
0: Yeah, and I think the gratitude is the right, you know, gratitude is the right attitude because you're right, it is infectious. And it's, you uh, And gratitude doesn't mean, grateful doesn't mean unworthy, right? It's like, no, I'm grateful. I want to be here. I belong here. And
1: I want to make everyone be very glad that they brought me here. So I'm going to give my best. That's that's my approach to my work. Because I do want to be my best. And I believe if you don't want to do your best, then you shouldn't be in that project.
0: Yeah, you know, I, have, I love hearing you say that over, you've said it a couple of times about bringing your best and doing the work, and I think that is, there's no substitute, right, for being prepared and doing the best work you can do. And every also, I mean,
1: I will ask you this question, then why are you doing it? If yeah. you're not going to bring your best self, why are you doing it? Because for the most part, it's sure as hell isn't for the money. No, Never. That. <laughs> Is that going to happen someday? Hopefully, God willing. But you know, it's like if that's what you want, they're much easier, much surer avenues. Uh, so it's that joy of creating this world. And I very much credit my teacher at Maggie Flanagan, Charlie Sandlin, and Maggie. They instilled this respect for the work. Like, I'm not some great thespian. I don't even call myself an artist. I do not. I'm a storyteller. And I hold great value for that, for storytelling. Society needs that. Humanity needs that. My grandmother used to tell stories and somebody goes, well, your grandmother. I'm like, yeah, because those stories used to comfort me. And as someone on a New York stage, I want to bring something that people can connect with. And that can make them feel something, can make them question things, can make them address parts of themselves that they otherwise can't. And that's a privilege. I see that as a privilege. And if somebody doesn't, then I honestly don't understand why they would be an actor.
0: Yeah, don't do it if it's not, if you don't, yeah, if you don't wanna bring your best and if you don't see it as a privilege, which it is because we are, whether you're telling your own story or been entrusted to tell the story of someone else.
1: Exactly. You know.
0: um, I'm gonna ask about the film that seems to be out in the, I tried to watch it with See You Then, but it's not it's streaming. It's
1: actually, it's going to start streaming tomorrow. On, Is it gonna be? On on yes. Should've paused, should paused for a
0: day, should've paused for um, a day. I watched the trailer, I read about it. It looks like it's streaming in the UK already. So it's going to stream, it'll stream by the time this drops, which is great. Yes. Where's it going to stream?
1: As of now, uh, all I know is video on demand. Video on demand, uh, and we'll say, see
0: you then. And how did that project come about? Because it seems to be having a great life. And it also seems, I read, I listened to some interviews from the creators of the piece and I was like, Jesus, it seems like you were perfect for the part. Like that seems you know. In, in some ways. Of- I was sort of uh, surprised that that it would that it was like when I went to the interview part. I went, oh, this story is organic to the person who's creating it and telling it and and writing it. And, and
1: I believe that we all find something organic in the characters. So the character is a trans character, but you know Viola Davis plays black women, uh, and Meryl Streep plays white women, and I'm a trans person, so I play trans characters. The characters. Life experiences was not completely parallel to mine. But, you know, like any acting, you're like, what do I personally understand? What do I have to fill in with my imagination? And that character was that. But again, I go back to you do the work and you never know when it comes back. So I had done this short film for Hofstra University seven years ago. Uh, and then that short film was in a film festival which also happened to be showing another short film, which was by the writer director of See You Then. And they had seen my performance over that weekend in the festival, and they had decided that they wanted to work with me because of the certain qualities that I had, as they said, this understated strength and emotional uh, availability. Um, And so, Uh, Three years ago, I get this email from a casting office in L.A. I got an offer for the feature, um, and then it took about six months. I spoke with the writer-director, and I did the chemistry test, and then we started shooting in January of 2020, and we finished literally five weeks before the lockdown. Amazing.
0: Amazing. And then it's able to do post during COVID and having a it seems to be having an amazing festival life and it looks great. And
1: we have a 96 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. We have an 8.2 on IMDb. I won Best Performance at Outfest last year and Best Actress at Outfilm San Diego, my co-star. Uh, won Best Performance at another festival. Our film has won a couple of awards for like Best Original Screenplay. Uh, we, we got distribution, which is, you know, another feat to have distribution by a notable company, um, which is how this year we've had our theatrical run and we are going to go on the platforms and where it goes from there, who knows?
0: Fantastic, well, congrats. And-
1: Thank you very much.
0: Um, and I'm, yeah, I wanted, I'm looking forward to watching it. And I also just in the interview, loved that they compared it to like my dinner with Andre, the person who created it and hey, that my spirit son. of it. And I was like, oh, it looks, it also just looks lovely. Um, I'm going to ask if you, if we've said already great things in the conversation, but if you had any advice that you think about that you would give to your younger self or that you would give to somebody starting out in this journey and you've done <laughs> great things, you've already said great things. So.
1: The one thing I would say is if you're brought in, it's because you have something that they're looking for. And I believe your best job is to find out what that is and make sure it shines as brightly as it can. Because the best asset you have is you. And have faith in that. And be around people who inspire you to be better and, and have great work ethic. Like those are the things that I believe work ethic, good attitude, and always be open to learn. If I was gonna say, that would be the three things I would say.
0: Those are three great things. How do you, when you think about you, I just loved it, you said you're brought into a room, they see something in you. And does that mean while you're sitting with the piece, trust that what resonates with you to bring in? Like, you know, you can't ask them like, hey, why'd you call me? I mean, maybe you can. Yeah.
1: Instinct, you know, the thing. And, and if you don't get it, then it wasn't yours. And, and I think part of that is also believing that. That is like, if if you don't get it, then you're not what they were looking for. And you can't change that. That's not to say, don't be prepared. That's not to say, don't really figure your way through it. But also believe that your essence is also a great part of that your essence not trying to figure out what it is they want you to be because if you don't know that in the rehearsal you in the audition you're probably not going to know that in rehearsal uh, and if you are not what they're looking for then it's just going to be miserable for everybody
0: it's funny i was thinking about it's the end of my season four of podcasting i do 15 episodes mm-hmm. a season for the farm and and uh, but i was thinking like oh i want to talk to somebody who's thriving coming out of this pod, coming out of this pandemic. And uh, and it feels like you are. And part of me is like, do you, do you feel that way? And did you, did you know that the play was gonna happen before the pandemic? Was it on hold and-
1: I mean, we you know, had can- done readings. We had done readings. I actually, I was going to do another play, which was supposed to go up in Williamstown in summer of 2020, which obviously got canceled, but then became an audible play. Um, I will go back to the same thing. People kept approaching me for work. It was Zoom productions for New York Theater Workshop, National Queer Theater, San Francisco Playhouse. I just, if the story spoke to me, I I did it. And my agents say, you were one of the few people that continue to work during the pandemic not a lot of work but i continue to work um and you know you don't always get a big thing you sometimes get smaller things and you never know where those people are going to go or just the, just the joy of doing a project with people especially if it's fun and, and you like the project but that's not to say every project i've done i've liked i haven't but i still have tried to do my best um I think it's, it's that career. It has good, it has bad. And you, each individual person has to decide on their own what their time is worth. So, are we slowly coming out of the pandemic? Yes. I feel like one of the things I did during the pandemic was I kept working. Um, I was one of the top twenty act- actors for 2020 that Casting Society of America announced in Variety in 2020. Um, you know they'd done uh, auditions over the course of I think three or four years, and so that was something that came out. And then the movie came out, but the play I honestly didn't know that the play was going to happen until last year when it was actually announced on Broadway World or Playbill. Uh, and the other thing is you just keep working and you keep yourself inspired and grounded so when that right opportunity comes along you're ready for it you know that's what they say luck is right when preparation meets opportunity.
0: Thank you. Thank you for the conversation, Puya. It was so great to get to talk to you, get to know you a little better. As I said in the conversation, if you go to her website, dot you can read the article that I referenced, the Advocate article. Her story is incredible, but I, mostly I was grateful just to get to know her a little better. Get to And the thing she said at the end about, you know, opportunity is, uh, you know, or luck or whatever is when preparedness meets opportunity. And and I think that's true. It's about doing the work and being prepared. And I loved all of the conversation of, you know, the film that is now on demand came out of the fact that somebody saw her make a short that was in a festival in a sh- festival that they had a short in and they wanted to work with her. And English came about, which is, if you didn't get to see it, it will have a continued life. Uh, and, Congratulations, and I am sure by next week they will have won the Lord's for best ensemble. But that's just my prediction and deserved award. Uh, but I'm sure you'll get to see that play again because it will have a life. Um, and that came out of her working with the writing department at NYU grad playwriting, and it, you know that's just about showing up and showing up for good people and and being of service. But also the one thing she continued to say is. Being prepared to do your best work, and I thought, as we, so I think about like what kept people going in the pandemic, and you know, it's staying engaged and staying through Zoom and going to audio and doing different things, it's what really moved you forward and got you prepared as we're coming in and out of the pandemic is doing your best work, and you know, she asked the other great thing that she said is you know, people meet your reputation before they meet you, and I think that is the thing. That um, I think everyone, you know, through this time is just by being, you know, whether you needed a rest or not is also okay. I think it's a very challenging time in mental health and emotional health and things people needed to take care of themselves. But I was thinking one of the things is when you remained engaged or when you showed up or when you interacted with people, It is bringing your best self. And that's not just about, I also love that you said it's not about networking. It is about networking in the sense that it's about building your community. But it's about building your community as to who you authentically are and being prepared. So I love that. I also keep hoping that when we come back in the fall with the podcast that uh, things will be normalized, whatever that means. I say that because this week, Dina Townman's The Road Back opens, a great solo show on mental health. But it is opening a week later because of COVID. We had to postpone a week, and you know, so things aren't fully back normal. Obviously, we're still in flux. Except for in flux seems to be the new normal. Twenty twenty two is the you know the year of the understudy. And uh, with Adina's show, it's her story. There's no understudy, so we are opening this Thursday, and excited for that. I started to talk about it just to say that you know things are in flux, and it's about COVID is, you know, still with us and, in, and affecting us. And I'm hoping by the fall that we have figured out how to normalize and manage and work around it. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to hearing what everybody is doing. Even in the in-between season time, email me at padrick, P-A-D-R-A-I-C. I'd never spell it, but I should at thefarmtheater.org. Uh, let us know what you're doing and we will share it with our community throughout the year and hope everybody, you know, staying healthy, staying engaged, bringing your best self to the work. And I want to thank you all for listening. Thank you, Hudson, for editing throughout. Thank all of our guests for this season. And with that, we're out.